Hey, I'm Nick. And I'm Greg. And he's old. And I'm young. But we're both cute. You're listening to a new episode of the Mangina Dialogues. Uneducated, unfiltered, unhinged. This is the Mangina Dialogues. We at it again. With your host, Nick Scopes. And the Gregolicious. You know how we do. Because you know we keeping it gangster and silly. Unplug like a full swung titty, bout get jitty, cause you know we down to the nitty and the gritty, and we make shit sound so damn pretty, yeah, cause this unhinged comedy, and right now you're in the mix, so get ready, cause we bout to get it poppin', and we ain't stoppin'. I'm educated, unfiltered, unhinged, this the Mangina Dialogue. Hello and welcome to the Mangina Dialogues. I am your host, Nick Scopes. And I'm just going by Greg today. I'm not, not saying the other <laughs> oh, part in front of Oh, he finally dropped the Gregalicious <laughs> because I think our guest, the very funny Mike Gaffney, scared him a little There's bit. no way I'm letting Mike take that. No chance. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Mike? How you doing? You, I think you intimidated Greg into finally dropping his stupid-ass Instagram handle that he introduces himself as. Wait a minute. So you normally say Gregalicious? Yeah. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> well, you know what? If, if I did anything for this world, if I can make that change <laughs> just by being on your podcast and hopefully this goes forward and you and you drop it forever, man, you, you know, I've done the world a good service. Yeah, well, fuck listen, a vaccine, dude. This yeah, is what we needed. I know. You know? It, I know. This it, is what we needed. It just took Mike Gaffney and, and 89 episodes. <laughs> 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 Somehow I knew it would come to this. <laughs> anyway, how's it going? How are you? How's Jersey? Oh, you know, it's. I'm like, this is the one time in the in our lives that we're all the same. Like, no one's got it any different. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's like, this true. is the best. Actually, it sucks, but it's the best time of life because no one can complain. It's like, yeah, shut the fuck up. I'm home too, asshole. Like, yeah, we all, yeah, you don't have any money? Yeah, me neither. Like, what else? You got something else that we don't, we all share the same bullshit, man. So it's like the one time in our lives that we know we can complain because we're all in it. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because I have, I'm, a, I'm older than Nick, um, and I have two, teen- older, two, two teenagers. Older. And when people are like, how's it going? And I'm like, I mean, it's going about the same as probably your day, except I'm doing my best to not put two teenage boys in the ground. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, my kids are in their, 20, their early 20s, and they're still with me, and it's like the same thing. Yeah. I, I mean, they don't – it's not better. It's, like, <laughs> oh. it's not like they – it's not like they got a half a brain on them all of a sudden. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know where that thing, where people think that pops in. Like, oh, they don't get better. How the fuck does it get better? How? How does it get better? How do two humans who are clueless not become clueless anymore? Tell me how that just miracle, it's like miraculous it happens. I don't know. I, I keep, I've been praying for that for a long time to like every God you could find, like all, and it's just, it's getting worse. It doesn't yeah, get better. It, it does, you have two boys? Yes. Yes. So I, I, my, my daughter actually is getting better. I don't know by much, but it's you can see it. When it's so bad, any increase, you know what I mean? Yeah. Any improvement, you can it's noticeable. It's like, oh, that got better. It wasn't it's still shit, but it's much better than it was. <laughs> um but my son is still the same. I mean, I don't know. He's still, still the same. Yeah. 20, he's 22 and he pretty much is still the same. And they both live at home with you? Yeah, yeah. 
I've been raising them. I've, I've pretty much raised my kids by my, by myself since they were seven and eight. Right. Wow. Um, and we moved back to my parents' house when they were like eight and nine, nine and 10, maybe like nine and 10, we moved back home because I was working full time during the day and doing comedy at night. So my mom was always at my house watching my kids at my apartment. So I just moved back home into my old upstairs. So my kids, we just stayed there. We've been there ever since. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Built-in baby watching and yeah, that's a good, that, yeah, that, that's all I mean. Really, she was she was just good to be there. My family was good to be there, so I can go out at night and right. they were home with somebody. Yeah, I mean, you need to. I was, I was trying to build a stand-up career back, you know, fifteen years ago. Exactly. Yeah. What, where in Jersey did you grow up? Where, are you? Did you grow up? I grew up in Jersey City, oh, okay. um, Hudson County, same place as uh, Joey Coco Diaz. Right. <laughs> Coco. Nice. <laughs> Uh, Same area, like he grew up the, the town up from me. Yeah, there's a bunch of well, that yeah. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of comedy guys out of Jersey, Artie, and you know Union City, and all that shit. Yeah. Um, how uh, obviously your kids play a role in your in your act. I mean, life does, right? So, right. like, how do yeah. they like? Do they as now? I I, I guess I'm not going to say adjusted adults, but adults like do they do they like listen to it then like bitch at you after and like am I really that bad, Dad? Well, no, they they loved it. Like when they were younger, they loved it. They didn't mind it, and they would feed me the information. It's not like I was home to hear all the stuff they would right. say and come up with. My son would say some of the dumbest shit, and my daughter would just be like, "Dad, guess what he said?" You know what I'm saying? Like, and then that's that's in the act. And he was telling me stuff too. Um, they didn't have a problem. There was one joke a long time ago that my my daughter first became like you know you know an adult girl let's just say when that time of the time of her life came along yep yep that i talked about it on stage and told a story about it on stage and she was not happy with that yeah well i mean as a comedian how do you not like you know obviously a single dad raising uh a a girl going through like those life changes and puberty yeah. and whatnot. Like, how do you not bring that into your act as a well, that, single that's, guy? She's, she's on board now with it. She gets it. Uh, at the time it was a very embarrassing story that she didn't like that. I exposed it. Right. Yeah, of course. It's you know, now she's, uh, yeah, now, yeah, exactly. Now she's an older, you know, even when she was like 18, she's like, nah, I don't care about that story. But yeah. at, when it happened at 13 or 14 years old, she was like, I can't believe you're saying this. And then I stopped. <laughs> I stopped saying the joke until she was 18. Right. <laughs> and then all bets were off. It's like, no, you're an adult now. Like, you're fucking taking it. <laughs> exactly. Did <laughs> she come to your shows and then, like, you point her out and you're like, there she is. <laughs> <laughs> if she's in the room, I won't do that joke because it is embarrassing. <laughs> Probably. That would be great. You just pointed her out. She's like, Dad, what the fuck? And storms out. It could be a part of your be part of the act. The only Everybody thinks oh, I was a plant. Like, yeah, no, yeah, I the, wasn't. Yeah. The only person heckling you is your daughter. Yeah. <laughs> From behind the stage. You suck. Dinner sucked last night. <laughs> all, all new meaning to God, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> my son oh, my. hated this. There was a couple of stories about my my son that he like when he was like, like nine years old, was, he was, this is a true story. Like nine, like almost, and maybe um, his, there was a condom like in this, in the closet, like on the floor. My nephew used to stay in this room and it fell out. He had like hit it behind this crack in the wall and it 
fell. So I saw it and I picked it up. My son saw me pick it up and I didn't want him to see it. He was nine. And so he was like, I know what that is. He tried to be all cocky about it. And I'm like, so what is it? And he's like, uh, he didn't want to. Now he's froze. He didn't know what to say. It. Right. I'm like, well, just tell me, where, what do you do with it? He's like, uh, I'm like, where do you use it? He's like, you put it on your balls. <laughs> and I said, and I said, why? 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 And he's like, yeah, so you don't have babies. I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, good luck with that. I hope that works out for you. Um, and I actually went and told, told his mother, and his mother was like, this is a true story. I called his mom. I guess what he just said. She said, oh, my God, you correct him? I'm like, no. She's like, what do you mean, no? She's like, he can go now and do it wrong. Like, first off, first off, you know how tight a condom is on your balls? If you, can, if you can get a hard on with a condom wrapped on your balls, more power to you. And, I, and a second you. thing. You're what, killing it. You have good blood I, flow. <laughs> yeah. And then what girl is banging a kid with a condom dangling off his balls? <laughs> so no matter how you look at it, the condom's doing its job. And I told that story on stage, and he was so angry. Like for years, even now he'll get pissed off because he's like, "That's not what I meant." You know, that's not what I meant. I'm like, I don't give a fuck what you meant. It's what you said. I don't care what you meant. It's still, it's still funny. That's so fucking good. Oh my god, the visual, the visual is what's killing me. Like I'm, I'm just like imagining like someone trying to put that on their ball. It's a nine year old child. Not, not even that. Just like if I were like, yeah, this is on your body. Just imagine trying to get your push your balls into a con. It just keeps you just keep hearing the like the snapping of the rubber and you're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's so good? If you really listen hard, you can hear your nut move over like it just uh, keeps popping out of place. They have <laughs> I, I went into Rite Aid the other day to I don't know, right. buy something. I don't I, I like Vizine for my kid, which I don't know how I got duped into that. Um <laughs> but they had at the register, like the world's smallest condoms for like your fingers when you to like punch the keypad, you know, so oh, you don't right. have to touch yeah. the keypad. And yeah. I've never seen those before. Like I like I didn't even know what to make of it. It was like just these boxes full of like finger condoms. <laughs> yeah, they they've been around because you used to use it when you counted money back in the day. Right. You would put those on your fingers to count money to help grab the money better. And oh, keep your, yeah. So you have to lick your fingers all the time and get right. dirty money in your mouth. Right. That's what they were for. Oh my God. That makes sense. I was like, I, did they just come up with finger rubbers? <laughs> like, <laughs> they probably reintroduced them since now money, money's been out of play for about 20 years. I know. Right. Like those are, I don't know. Maybe that's something. They fit, they fit over Greg's balls perfectly. They, they did. Balls. They were their perfect size. Like two of those things together. I'm covered. I'm covered. You should just go up there. Oh man, I'll take a box of condoms. Like, no, they're not. <laughs> Got a hot take tonight. I'll take a box of condoms. Can I can I buy back these things was, in bulk? Back when I was juicing, those would have worked perfectly. Those would have been yeah. great. <laughs> He's not kidding. Nick used to be a personal trainer. Well, is I'm a personal trainer. So, Mike, um, Greg yeah. and I were lucky enough to see you live when comedy live comedy was a thing back in the day. Before oh this. my god, freaking prehistoric times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pre-corona. So yeah. we saw you open. It was at Stress Factory, right, Greg? Yeah. Open for Santino. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we got to see you. You guys that. came up we talked afterwards, right? I believe so, yes. I believe. I can't even remember. Yeah, I don't I do. remember. I, 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 definitely, I know I did for sure. I want to talk to you. I talked to Santino. You guys chilled after in the lobby, which very cool right. you guys chill and talk to everybody. Um, that yeah, was awesome. Santino's a good guy. Have you, have you tried to get him on? Uh, tr- trying. He's he's you know he's evasive. He's high on the food chain he's now. Evasive. So. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what it is now. It's like, um, it's like once a a person can uh, can help you more than you can help them. Not you know saying that that's the way Andrew takes life, but then you start you can only you start to elevate to where you you're only associated with people who can bring you a next level up. Right. It that's not and, and not even intentional. Like not even like a conscious decision. It's just you float that where you're floating. Yeah. Exactly. He, well, if you want to, you know, throw him a text, it's cool. Like, let, <laughs> all right. let him know we're not weird. Well, we are weird. What are you talking about? We're totally weird. <laughs> but, Mike, one of your uh, – so I've watched, obviously, watched to get ready for this. I've seen you live, but I watched a bunch of your stuff on YouTube. And right. there's there one bit I want to talk about that was so funny, and this literally happened to me a few days ago. You were talking about um, – and now tell me if this is a true story or not because this is interesting. When yeah, absolutely. Saying, I don't even know what it is, but it's true. When you were 17, you were banging your librarian? Yes. That's incredible. So she's nine years older, so she's 26. You're 17. Right. She was a friend of the family. So we knew, like, I knew her my whole life, basically. Oh, okay. All right. So it didn't just, like, originate in high school. No, it wasn't just like, hey. (laughs) What can I do? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, it wasn't a porno. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It was, uh, she just was, happened to work in my high school library. So we got to talk more. She was, a. Uh, she grew up around the corner from my grandfather's house and she became friends with my mom. Like her, my mom were friends. So, uh, she started working at my high school. So then I would, now we start to talk more and she came over to my house to talk to my mom. My mom wasn't home and then we banged it out and we started banging. <laughs> and then she threw a finger in your butt, correct? <laughs> Yeah, bro. She was a freak. She was like a, I mean, first of all, she was nine years older than me, you know, and in the eighties, uh, you know, she had been, she'd been around. She was like a bar fly. She, she, she like hit all the bars in Huffington County. Like she was just like this, like very, like, you know, that kind of girl, like that seventies, eighties chick, you know, denim jacket kind of broad, you know? Um, just like and, you, Nick, just like you. Yeah, just like you. <laughs> and she, yeah, she, uh, I was on top and I was very much strokers very tight. You know what I'm saying? Like I didn't have a lot of moves, you know, at 17 years old. Uh, it was very predictable. You know what I mean? It was just right on top. Like bam, bam, very, very easy yeah. move. And she was on top and she put that finger right behind and put it in my ass. And dude, it was glorious because I didn't know it was fucking awesome, but it's shocking. Cause you don't know that you don't talk about that shit when you're a kid. Changed, changed your life, dude. I just had this dude, convo it, it, literally two okay. nights ago with two of my buddies. It thousand percent. Like it's like it, but it's hard, you know, to mention to other people, and you know, it's hard to work it in. But uh, um, but if you if you get there with somebody and you're like, yeah, chuck a fucking finger in my butt. I don't know what you're doing with all your fingers out of my butt, but get yeah. one of them. Get one, <laughs> get one of them working. <laughs> yeah, I was having a I was having a convo to my buddies, and I was like, yeah, you guys into like when girls, you know, play with your taint and like you know throw a finger in there, and they looked at me like, no, and I was like. Yeah, yeah, me neither, dude. I'm not looking. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I was like, just kidding. It's one of my favorite things. But once I heard that bit, I was like, all right, Mike gets me. He understands. <laughs> it's, it was, yeah, it was fucking phenomenal. It was phenomenal. Yeah. And I'm glad I found out it when I was 17 and not when I was in my 40s. <laughs> yeah, I think the joke goes, the joke goes, I'm glad I didn't find, I'm glad I found out when I was young and not when I was in my 40s. That's like having a that's like having a car with a sunroof and not noticing it for 20 years. Like, I had a fucking sunroof? <laughs> you telling me I had a sunroof the whole time? I love my sunroof. 
<laughs> I think that's actually happened right. to me. I think I did have a car for a long time and then realized five years later it had a sunroof. <laughs> you might want to get that looked at. Greg was on a lot of drugs at that point. Like... <laughs> I, don't rem- I don't remember the 80s or 90s. So when you were, when, you know, obviously that's, you know, Nick mentioned, we saw you open for Santino, which was, right. like we, we were literally right on the side of the stage and it was, you know, watching you great, work yeah. was so awesome. Like so incredibly funny. Thanks. Did, 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 did you do more shows with him or was that just like New Jersey New York, and uh, Connecticut stress factory? Well, I, I worked, I, how I met him is like, you know, most of the time I'm, I'm headlining somewhere, right. you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it's very rare that you run into other headlines, but I was, I was working Vegas MGM and he was working the Tropicana and I was with Brad Garrett and Brad and him were on the show dying up here. Right. So I said to Brad, you know, Andrew Santino's next door. I, I, didn't, I never met him, but I, I liked him. He always, always made me laugh. So we went over that after our show, we went over and hung out with him. And then I went, that was like a, a Tuesday night or Wednesday night. And then I went over, Every night after my shows, I went over and hung out with him and his openers, and we just became friends. And uh, he was doing a stress factory in Jersey, and he hit me up. He's like, hey, I'm doing this stress factory in Jersey. You want to do it with me? And I was, happened to be open that weekend. I was like, yeah. So that, that, and then, then that one came up. He's like, you want to do that one with me? And I'm like, yep. So. Yeah, that was awesome. That that was, you know, yeah, I mean, obviously Vinny, yeah. Vinny does an awesome job of, you know, putting great shows together and Pack, right. packing the lineups but that that was just so awesome <laughs> yeah, yeah that was a good show he's so funny man i just he's a good guy he's a really good dude yeah you could tell a really like, good I mean, dude again like you two to take like i know when santino got done with his set he immediately went into the lobby and then like right. he followed suit and you guys were just there talking to everybody so like yeah yeah that's that's so rare and he like you know he he's he always says on his podcast he's like you got to come to live comedy like I always encourage people to come like you know yeah, especially dude, now he, you got to get it back going but he loves his he likes fans he's he's all about the fans you know he's uh I mean but I, I, again like I I was really good friends with Sebastian Maniscalco like I opened for him for like two and a half three years and um and then he blew up and I think I did one big venue with him in in from in New Hampshire. Place, there's a place called Casino, something. It's like a more like a music venue. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hampton Beach Casino. Yep. And uh, we did that venue together. That was the last time I really worked with him. But um, he was very neat. All his you know fans for a while, but then it just became overwhelming, and it would slow down turnover and shows. He couldn't do it anymore. And it was like people were like upset, but like he couldn't do it anymore. It was there. There was each show, whatever venue he did, he sold out. And then he would have two shows that night. They got to flip the room. He can't meet 500 people, you know, and, and flip the room for another 500. So it became like, like everyone gave him like a bad rap. Like, oh, now he thinks he's too good. It's like, no, no, it just became, it's not, not feasible for him to meet everybody. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's physically and emotionally just impossible. And, like I was, and it's to, draining, dude. I can't imagine. I can't even imagine. I mean, I was supposed it's, to see him in end of March before at Mohegan Sun Arena when all this. Oh, really? Yeah, end of March, then it got pushed to August, and now it's April next year. So, um, but we, I'm still gonna go. Did, but I was like, he wouldn't be able to imagine, like, yeah, I'm gonna sit down and meet everyone in the fucking arena. Like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he could. We did. Uh, we did. Um, 
Levity Live, you know, Levity yep. Live up in, Nyack. in uh, Nyack, I think yeah. that, that place fits like 350, 400. And we did four shows, like two Friday, two Saturday, I think. And all of them were sold out. And we would stand out. <clears throat> me, Megan Hanley was the host, me and, and Sebastian. And dude, the whole night, you're like, good night, thank you. Hey, thank you so much. Hey, thank you so much. Hey, man, thank you so much. Hey, man, you were really funny. Thank you so much. It was like all night, all night. <laughs> 400 times 800 <laughs> fucking people the night you know what i'm saying like my i didn't know what and was up and like think about if 800 people wanted to have a real long conversation with you like they do with sebastian they all want to tell them that their grandmother's the same oh my father does that too like they want to talk yeah, yeah. Right, right, it would right. it, it, it would he would need a whole separate two-hour show just to meet the first show it's funny it's, i was it, in Right before the whole quarantine shit, I was in Dallas, Texas, and I um, happened to be there and saw Greg Fitzsimmons was doing a show by where I was right. staying. And I'm like, all right, I'm, I'll go see I'll go see him. It was like a Thursday night, and it was actually a free show, <laughs> which, right, right. I, which he didn't know was a free show. He did. He was so funny. Oh, really? Yeah, he, he didn't know it was free. And then found out in the middle of his set that people didn't pay to come see him. It was, <laughs> it was really what awesome. What club was it? What uh, club? Hyenas. Oh, I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah so they, I guess they do every Thursday show free, uh, but yep. you know, probably headliners have no. I'm sure when you've done it there, if you've done the Thursday, you probably didn't know it was free. They were just nobody knows for the weekend. So yeah, exactly. when I was you know leaving, he of course he goes out and says, yeah, if everyone wants to come buy a pin or merch, you know, I'll be out there. So right. I'm in line. I'm like, all right, I want to buy one of his pins. You know, it was a free show. I mean, I'll, you know, give them some money, right? Like right. buy his ten dollar fucking pin. So. I'm standing in line and the people in front of me are all like trying to tell that him in line, like their favorite bit, how long they've been listening to him and watching him yeah. and know all about his family and his wife and his kids and infertility and all kinds of crazy shit. And I'm like, <laughs> just get the fuck out of line. So by the time I got up to the line to buy my two pins for $20, I just gave right. him a $20 bill and I'm like, I just want the pins. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't even want to shake your hand. I just want to give you $20. And I took the pin and walked away. And he, like, gave me the nod, like, thank you. <laughs> yeah, people want to. And, I, and, I, and I guess I understand that people feel that they, you know, they've been listening to you for a while. You know what I mean? They're your fans for a long time. And then they talk to you. They want to tell you yeah. all the things that have happened because of your jokes or like, Oh my God, this one time my friend heard it. And like, I just want to tell you, it's like, they're never going to have the opportunity again to, to talk to you. I think, you know? Yeah. So they, they don't think about the fact that we still got another show to go. I still got to perform. I'm sweating from the last hour I just did. Um, can we speed this along? And, and I, I don't mind talking. I, I mean, I don't get the, the ton of fans to come over and talk to me after a show, like somebody who's been doing it for, you know, 30 years who's been headlining for 20 of those 30. I, I, you know, I don't have that many fans that want to come talk to me, but they do. People at the show definitely want to come say, man, I had a good time yeah. and help me something that similar will happen to them and their kid, or they saw the same thing on the street. It's like, um, and it's nice, but it's, my brain isn't, it's such a weird, it's just a weird thing to do what we do as comics is you're on stage alone doing your thing. We're all in this room together, but I'm up there by myself, you know, and yeah. we're talking and we have this like kind of big me and everyone relationship. It's not, you know, but it feels, if you do the job right, it feels like you're the only one in the audience. Right. If, you, if That's the way it's supposed to do. I'm supposed to be 
make you feel like you're the only guy we're talking like a real conversation. Yep. And um, so you forget, you, you do that, and then you're like, you come off stage and you're totally like drained. It's like this high, and then you're, all these people are talking to you, then you're like alone in the green room, and then you're back with a bunch of people. It's a fucking strain. On, <laughs> that's why comics die of heart attacks, I believe. Because it's a r- emotional roller coaster ride that normal people don't go on every day. Right. That's very true. What um are you still like? How long have you been doing comedy, by the way? Well, I uh, I started in I did my first open mic in two thousand and one. Okay. And then I, then I bounced around like a couple of open, but nothing major. And like until like the middle of two thousand and two, I started to do bringer shows in New York. And then I did I did comedy from two thousand and two to the end of 2003, beginning of 2004, and I quit. Um, and from 2004 to 2007, I didn't do it at all. And then 2007, I went back to it, and, and pretty much I haven't stopped. Now, do you still do you still get nervous, like deathly nervous before shows and things like that? Uh, only time I get nervous is when I should, and when it matters, like when uh, the time that I'm sort of, I should be, you know, on my game. And there's somebody in the room watching that's important, or I'm auditioning for you know somebody. Then I get uncomfortable because I'm because I I've yet to be able to to not look at like not think of the results. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're supposed to go in to any audition or any showcase and just do the thing, and the results will take care of themselves. I have yet yet to be able to let go of the results while I'm doing the act. Do you find that that like drives you harder? Or no, it throws it you up, me up. It fucks you up. Yeah, because you're 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 nervous. It's like uh, it's like jumping out of a plane, you know, skydiving, and, and the whole time you're worrying about your parachutes. Like right. just you gotta, you're not gonna enjoy this that that jump. I mean, I've never skydived, but you're not gonna enjoy the jump if the whole time you're worrying about your parachute. Yeah, I'm never jumping out of a fucking perfectly good airplane. Just it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> I just I just saw like an article today of some some girl that died. Like her and her mom were going to do it, and they and the daughter died. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That's great. <laughs> First of all, do we need do we need more of that shit in the news right now? Like, just let's just leave those stories out. <laughs> like, we don't need exactly. That. So, Mike, with that whole thing, you know, when you know. Obviously, when the pressure is on, it, it fucks you up. But I mean, you did yep. so well on Last Comic Standing, right? Like, I didn't. I I didn't know because I was a favorite to win Last Comic Standing. Oh, because so um, you're saying because you didn't win, you didn't. Oh no, I was a favorite to win because right. of the pressure of thinking of a hundred thousand dollars and a NBC deal and all that stuff. Right. I went in and shit the bed on my you know my second time around for them. And I, it's because I forced it. I try to be this thing I thought they wanted me to be, and instead of just being me, it's just the guy they liked from the beginning. Right. I try to, I try to do an, I try to act like me. <laughs> so yeah. if if I can, if I can, you know what I mean? I try to act like me. Right. 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 Like no, just be you. Yeah. 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 Act like you. You got to be you. And I and I forced it, and I, uh, and I and I just was so off. My my buddy was in the audience. And I, made, I could look at him. He's right there, like fifth row. And he looked at me, and he's like, like trying to like give me like this relaxed face. Right. And I just, it was, I was already done. So, how was the whole experience though of the show for you? Uh, it was the best. I mean, it was awesome. I mean, I, 
I never been in the industry like that. That was my first, you know, I've been on access TV, but I've never been in the industry like, you know, like that. Like where the industry, although, you know, you might think comics aren't watching it. Who cares? I don't want comics to see me anyhow. It's it's the executives. It's the business people of the comedy world are watching that. Right. You know what I mean? And that's, I've never been on their radar. So it was kind of, you know, it's a great experience. And Wanda Sykes, you know, was a producer and she's been nothing but awesome. Yeah. She's just awesome. Yeah. She's real. I met her in, in actually a restaurant in LA a couple years ago and we were just sitting at a table right next to each other and she could not have been nicer. Like I, right? you know, I didn't even, I mean, I, you know, I sort of recognized her, but you know, like when you see someone from the side, you don't want to stare at them. So I didn't really, yeah, right. whatever. But then right. when I finally did and I, I was like, Oh, nice to meet you. I, you know, dabble around the comedy world. She was just, could not have been a nicer person to just say, right. You know, stay, do what you got to do. Keep with it. You know, nice to meet you. And then what about her? You know, I didn't obviously interrupt her meal or anything, but she right, seems but like she's, a really cool. She's person. just that girl. Like she's, yeah. she's rich. She's Wanda Sykes. She's been in a lot of things. She's got a lot of money. She's very successful. But she's just Wanda Sykes. She's just Wanda, like the comic that's yeah. going to go up and kill. She's not it. That's all she, you know what I mean? Like, that's what I love about her. She never, Wanted to be more than that. Right. So what year was that? What year was the last comic standing? 2014. Right. So six years ago. Six years ago. So is, but is that the point where you went from just being a working comedian, like in a, you know, whatever level that was to then headlining nationally headlining shows around the country? Yeah. Because it was after doing that, I was able to like my email. I didn't need to explain who I was to get booked. Right. You know what I mean? That show like the comedy seller booked me and, and made me, you know, a regular for at least eight months, six months. And then they stopped using me. But for the first, right after that show, they, they I didn't have an audition. That show just got me. This gig. Yeah. That's awesome. Now what, um, yeah. what are, what would you consider to be like one of the highlights of your comedy career? Like what was one of the moments where you're like, Holy shit. This is awesome. <laughs> I could tell you that. I mean, it's, it's tied with, Last comic standing. So, you know, I went and auditioned. So this, that season, when Wanda took over, that season, they changed format. There was no more open auditions, catacalls, no yeah. cat, you know, catacall line, nothing, no more of that. They went to, um, Wanda wanted to showcase comedians who already had chops, who just no one knows. Right. That's what the whole point was. These are comedians that already know how to destroy. And we just want to bring them to the, to, America, not we're going to find, you know, some guy who's been doing open mics for three weeks and make him a star. That's right. not what that point was. So she changed it. So she, they flew anybody who auditioned. They only, they auditioned like, I think like a hundred and something people. And they already had like 50, uh, comics that didn't have to audition. that were already on the show. So they were filling a hundred spots is basically what they were. So they might've had like 25 comics. They were already in, and then they or just another 150 to find the other 75. So they flew us all out to L.A., and we auditioned. Like, in, in Wanda, it was so awesome. She put all the people, like, she filled up this, like, little comedy club with, like, 25 or 30, like, interns. Right. So we had an audience, not one producer standing in the back of the room with a camera. Yeah. Um, so it was, like, doing a set. So I went out there, we did that. It was like draining and I felt like, and I, that was the one time 
that I went up and just was me. And it was just me. I had people, I mean, I heard, I couldn't see Wanda. I didn't know she was there, but you hear her laughing in the background. Yeah. And I'm like, is that Wanda laughing? She was dying. And the, uh, one of the producers was at the door, let me out. She gave me a hug. She was like, you're phenomenal. And I was like, oh, I, I couldn't feel better right. about my life. And when I flew home, I was home for a few days and I was hosting at Gotham Comedy Club. So I, I, me and my son come and as soon as I pull up in front of Gotham, I get a call from my manager. Um, you got last comment standing, you're on. And I was like, oh my God. So I was like floating. I walked in and Chris Mazzilli from Gotham was like, hey, Mike. I was like, did you? He's like, I just heard, congratulations. I'm like, oh, he already knew. And he's like, uh, tonight on the show is, uh, we got two special guests. We got Jerry Seinfeld and Jim Gaffigan are going to be doing guest spots. So I got the host and bring them up on the night that I just found out that I'm on there. It was like, I, I said to my son was there. I, I, I want to get cry now. I was like, can this, could this day be any fucking awesome? More awesome? <laughs> That's pretty. Only incredible. if the librarian was there. Yeah, <laughs> one finger in the butt, and it would have been bing. <laughs> really set that day off. So how many, how many people made the cut to Last Comic Standing? Like actually made it onto the show? A hundred. Oh, okay. A hundred. They started with a hundred, then they went down to twenty, then they went to down to ten, and then that's the top ten. So I made it right to the top ten, right before the top to the cut to the top ten. Jeez, and who, who go from a hundred to twenty? <laughs> so who cutting. won? Yeah. Who, who won that that season? Who won that season? Oh, who was it? Oh, Rodman. You know Rodman? No, I don't. He's like um, more of a, like I don't want to say urban comic, but that style is an old school kind of urban comic. He's right. a good, hilarious. He won. Huh. That's the. It's actually the one season that I mean. Obviously, I knew you were on. And I watched it, but it was the one season that. I, you know, because they changed the whole format that I wasn't, right. per, you know, you're just not used to that format, right? That they right. had done for so many years. And, you know, I, I first got into it when it first started, like the first season with, you know, Voss right. and they're living in a house yeah. and all that drama. That was know, the best. You know. That was the best. It really was. And it it was just so unique to what, you know, I mean, it really wasn't even real real reality TV at the time. Besides right, the shit, exactly. That, besides the shit that was on MTV, and it was clearly like a comedian's version of the real world. Correct. Yeah. You know? No. Absolutely. Um, I also work with Kathy Madigan. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was opening for her for a couple of years, and uh, she had said uh, that that was the best time. Like, I mean, the viewership when they lived in the house was like fifteen million an episode. Yeah. Wow. And then. Like our viewership, I think maxed out at like six million. Still a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, it is, but it's it's when you go fifteen to six. I mean, it's a big jump. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, and the reality of that—that's what the comedy was. They, they like the the off the cuff stuff of them living in the house is what made that show great. Right. Yeah. I mean the the, the competition and stuff. I don't particularly like stand-up competition that's kind of why i like the newer version because she they, they wanted to say we're not leaving it up to the audience right i mean to the home audience to yep. to, to decide because she goes whenever they get involved this is her words whenever the audience whenever the home home audience gets involved they fuck it up yeah 
And uh, she's like, they don't know. Well, they know funny. They never did it before. So yeah. that's why she had like, you know, like that episode, like episodes where you did panel with Ellen, yep. the practice doing panel, um, just stuff that was, you know, improv classes. They made, like just stuff that, uh, like we would encounter on a, on a, on a regular basis. So I liked it better, but I think it's too inside baseball when you don't right. do the reality part with a, with a home audience can watch that. Yeah. Inside oh. baseball. I used to watch that show every Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't that great? It was awesome. George, George Brett keeps me how to throw a ball. Yeah. That, <laughs> and there was that other show on ESPN or one of those channels that where they like, it was the kids playing sports in like Mission Viejo, California, whatever that hell. I can't remember the name of that show. Anyway, who cares? Um, so before we wrap, like, yeah. let's talk about your podcast a little bit. You're obviously doing your, your podcast. Yeah, me, me and Joe Fernandez, my buddy Joe Fernandez, we do a podcast called All in Our Heads, um, which basically we came up with a name because we're every week we usually have something on our, you know, going on in our lives right. that we're probably obsessing over, and and it usually is just in our heads. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. uh, it's like like talking about on stage, like you know, being like not ready for the moment. The reason why is because I'm in my head. Yeah, you know. Story of my life, dude. I love that title. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking perfect. So you're doing shows. I mean, you're you're on you're on your way out to Pennsylvania today to do a show tonight. Like, yeah. you're headlining, I imagine. No, this is like one of those like my management will put together like you know like a like a headliner showcase. Got it. So it's just like I think three headliners doing thirty. Right. Who is it besides you? <sighs> I don't know. I know Rodney Laney, I think, is the last. You know, did you you know Rodney Laney? Uh, the name, yeah, I'm not familiar with. Yeah, I don't name. know who else was on the show. I just think I saw Rodney Laney's name. Right. Where is it in Pennsylvania? In Halsey, Pennsylvania, which is uh, up towards, like, you know, like all those, like, resorts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, the Pocos. Yeah, Pocos. Yeah, it's up a little further past them. There's, like, uh, uh, it's called Hemlock Farms. So, um, is it an outdoor show? Yeah, it's going to be outdoors. They put some tents up. It's going to be outdoors. I don't know how many people are going to be there. I did a show last week in Connecticut um, for uh, at the uh, Southerton. Oh, Ski yeah. Resort, yep. uh, Mount, Mount Southerton, yeah. I think it's called. Now it was supposed to be an outside show, but um, the storms moved them in. They cut ticket sales off at 100 so they can bring it into the building and they social distance because the building can fit like 200 people. So they right. social distance. But it still made me uncomfortable. Yeah, that's, I didn't know that was going on. I would. I mean, that's kind of close. Me, you know, we're in Connecticut, and that's not. That oh, really? Far. Yeah, it's not that far yeah. from us. We, I would have loved to yeah. have driven out to check that out. Yeah, it would have been a good. I mean, it was a good show. It was my first time on stage since March 14th, so it was good. Right. So, are you now like? Are you booking shows regularly now? No, this is. I have this, and then I had one for Pennsylvania in a theater next month, but. Then now the governor has cut it down because they were doing half capacity. Right. And now he's cut it down to 25% capacity. And they don't think unless it goes up right. before the it. show, yeah, it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's... But nothing's coming in because no one knows what's going to happen. I've lost, I mean, I've lost, I, I lost probably, I was on the books 12 grand, but not on the books, which would have been coming in because unlike, you know, like when you're at my level of headliner, 
no, nobody's booking me a year in advance. They don't have to have me on the calendar for that long. Right. So I'm getting somebody will call me today and be like, "You are you available September 3rd? You know what I mean? Like that. Right. So, uh, but those calls aren't coming in because no one's doing anything. So yeah. my calendar, I don't know what I've lost. I just know that there's no work on my calendar at all. Yeah, it's, I mean, because we, up until, you know, March, we were booking um, a club here in Connecticut, in Norwalk, Connecticut, four nights a week, right. Wednesday through sun, Saturday, and right. we, you know, we're, it's not our club, we just were booking it, and right. we keep thinking, okay, we'll start again, and then we lost our insurance, so now we're, like, at square one of getting our, like, liability insurance, which under the circumstances, we can't do shit without insurance. Right, right. So we don't like. Hopefully, it's worked out soon, and we can start doing shows again. But you know, it's it. You know, the 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 capacity it's down to like forty people, you know, right? Thirty people. So like, it's, it's not worth it. It's almost not worth it. We're gonna do it just to you know get guys back in. You know, who we've used locally. You know, good local guys right. to just get their chops going. But again. you can also you now you. I mean, nowadays, I mean, there's guys. No one's working. So no one's giving up a $1,500 weekend to right. do your $100 show. Yeah, you understand sure. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's nobody, because that, that, that $1,500 weekend ain't happening. Right. So if people want to get up and get on stage and get out of the house, a lot of guys, like how somebody asked me to do with the Saturday show, just do 20 minutes at this park, like I think next month. And I was like, he's like, it's like, it's like 50 bucks and we're going to pass a hat. And, and I was like, I said, it's a Friday night. So I said, dude, you know that this dollar amount you're asking me on a Friday night is absolutely insane. Yeah. And I would never even consider it. But there's nothing going on. And what am I going to do? Sit in my house? Right. I want to yeah. get on stage. I want to tell jokes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's not like you have all like you have all the power and you're holding the money back. There's nothing going on. Yeah. Right. So, you know what I mean? So you can, what I'm saying for you guys, even though you only have 40 people that you can fit, you might be able to get like the, the New York guys that are headliners that would make 1500 for a weekend. You might be able to get them for a hundred bucks for a show on a Friday because they got nothing going on and yeah, they want to get up. We, we've talked to some guys, you know, that, that's who we were booking, you know, mainly, you know, obviously we were bringing the guys out from the city and um, right. to do our weekend shows. And they're all asking us just saying, Hey, if you're doing anything, we'll just come out. <laughs> exactly, and we're like, pay our train ride or our parking, and we'll just come out to get on stage because they need Absolutely. somewhere to do something. And you know, me, I, 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 that's that's great, and they're great offers and all, but I still want to be able to pay people to come out, and it's their time, and you know what I mean. So I understand. We're trying to figure that's, out what works. Uh, that I mean, I get, I get that, and that's a good thing that you are, you know, like a scumbag. Um, but we're all working <laughs> together in this at this moment. Like, yeah. like I was supposed to do Vegas. And they had said, yeah, to go, it's a go, it's a go. And it, it got canceled like a week before I was supposed to go out there. And um, the money was going to be less because the the capacity was less. And I was like, I told someone else, I'm like, yeah, fuck that. I'm like, oh, not fuck that. What are you talking about? It's obvious. They make less money. Yeah. Or they probably have money. I'm like, who cares what they have? <laughs> like, that's why, like, you know, like people, like, you know, bitching and moaning about people, like all these, like, big time you know, movie celebrities getting those PPP loans. Right. Who, how do you know their finances? How yeah. do you know they have people on the payroll that they don't have income coming in? So they got to dip into their millions. They put away to pay roll 
or they can take advantage of a program that's put out there for people who pay other people to live. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. I actually have a friend who um, was a big music executive, uh, ran a label right. for many years, made a ton of money in like the 90s, and then he had a percentage of the label, sold his percentage, has a shit ton of money. And he his business he went into after that was, and still to this day, is loaning big, you know, entertainers who – you know, made a lot of money and have a shitload of money in publishing available to them, but don't have a pot to piss in. So he right. he loans them money against their publishing <laughs> because they can't afford to live when they've sold 50 million records or something. Insane, right. You know, so. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. But I yeah, I agree. It's like, you know, you don't know what's on the other side of these people taking their money and how. Yeah. You know, I mean, they, I think they were shitting on uh, De Niro and, and like, I'm like. Yeah. Okay. On the surface, you're like, wow, man. Yes. Maybe he could have like stepped aside and let other people get some of that money first. However you want to look at it. But if there's, if he has a business that pays employees and that business isn't making any money right now, why would he not take a loan that helps? And those loans you have to pay back. And especially if you have the money, he'll always say, you have to pay that back. Eventually a guy like me, I get a PPP loan. I might not have to pay back because I'm gonna make a lot. Right but he'll have to pay that back. That's in the, if you read the PPP loan, you have to pay it back. Yeah. It's funny. I was, so, I, I was watching CNBC one day and one of the big restaurant tour guys was on and he was saying, he's like, listen, I, I'm chairman of a publicly traded company. My responsibility right. is to my shareholders. And if there's a government program out there that I can get that helps my company not lose more money, I have to, I'm Absolutely. obligated to my shareholders to take that money, regardless if we're a $30 billion company or something absurd. And it's totally that's, true. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, I hate when people are jumping on this bandwagon, all these celebrities taking money when they got, I'm like, you shut up. So, you know, and, and so for what you is, is like, you're doing the best you can do. If you can pay, if you call comics, and we all know we're working this together. Now, when the economy comes back and you can fill the joint, fill the room, then get back to paying the way you would pay. Yeah. You know, yeah, totally. I don't think anybody's going to be like, nah, nah, during a pandemic when he only sold 40 tickets, he paid us less. Like, yeah, if you're half a brain, you would already know why that happened. It's <laughs> <laughs> like even, uh, even my industry, like I'm a personal trainer at Equinox and people are, right. you know, gyms, gyms are open in Connecticut, but people are still hesitant. Right. I'm, you know, one of the, the top trainers there, always in like the top three, top five for as, you know, doing sessions per month. I have like right. 20 clients and now I have five that are willing to come back to the gym. Well, is it so, because but also because maybe they don't have the income to afford it right now? Uh, no, these people definitely have the income. Anyone that, <laughs> okay. Anyone that like, if you go to an Equinox, I mean, it's $200 a month just for right. membership and then training right. on top. They definitely have the money. I think it's just the population is a little older and a little bit okay. more cautious, even though, you know, the gym is, crazy clean and all the stuff that you know people wear masks and all that stuff but right um it's still people are just a little apprehensive to come back we're very very slow right now so right right is. but i'm not gonna say no if someone wants to come in and train you know it's it's something it's money like i just you know what right. i mean doesn't matter right well, hopefully it gets sooner than later um people start wearing their fucking masks in in texas florida and Arkansas, like they can get let get the rest of the country back to some level I mean, like, of normalcy. Like, like we, like in New York and in Jersey and in New York, Connecticut, you know, we if we continue, like the, the my fear is, is that when, like when New York says 
look at man, we have no new deaths, no new hospitalizations. People think that it's over. Yeah. People don't realize it's like, it's like, I, I try to explain, like, it's like, if you have a leak under your house, your pipes are leaking. Um, if you turn the water off, the water's going to eventually stop leaking because there's no water source. So you didn't fix the leak. Right. So if you turn the water back on, you, it's going to have another leak. It's like, I'm afraid that people think, oh, it's gone. It's like, no, it's not gone. It's still here. It's just uh, now we need to be cautious. Go yeah. back to, if you want to go back to normal life, you got to do dumb things. Like when I was in Connecticut, um, when those people, I did, it was my first time on stage in, you know, four months. And so I was a little, not nervous, a little just scatterbrained because I had no idea what I was going to talk about. Because right. I'm my, the way I do comedy is I get up every night. Uh, if I, even if I get up four nights a week, sometimes it's, you know, three full hours in a spot during the city. I'm doing three hours shows on the weekend. You know, I get to work out material all day long or anything that happened during the week. I just talk about it on stage. Yeah. But I haven't been on stage, so I've not talked about much. So it's only been things that maybe were on my mind that I didn't really talk about. So I opened like 10 minutes about what's going on and was just talking about masks and people getting close to me and just, you know, rambling and ranting. At the end of the show, this old lady, she would be like fucking seven years old, no mask, comes over to high five me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I just, I, I, when I tell you, took five steps back, point at her face. I was like, "Were you not listening to the act?" Like, <laughs> I just said, I hate people that do what you just did. <laughs> That's, I mean, I wish I could say it's funny. It's actually not funny. It's sad. It's sad because yeah. it's like, and and and, and partly not uh, aware of what's going on. And I think the other part is is that it's just comment like even when i went up to talk to the other comedians they were sitting at the table with no masks right and i had my mask on and then i'm in the middle of the conversation there i took it off because they had theirs off right and then you just go back you just go to like living the way you lived and like you're not thinking that oh wait we're not supposed to be doing this yeah it's it, just it's it's easy to fall back into the old way yeah no it's totally true i that's the thing like you know, New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut have, you know, I think in the entire country have done the best job of, you know, right. kind of putting it in, a, in in the pocket for a while. Right. 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 But you know, obviously anything can happen quickly. I and mean, that's what happened in Texas and in right. Arizona and in Los Angeles, Florida. you know, Florida, you know, L.A., would they let people start doing shit? And then within like a week, it's a disaster. Right. right. So obviously if you start you know, letting your guard down to where it's like, oh, we're fine. Yeah, we're fucked. Right. And I think that's why I like, I mean, not, not to be political, I like the governors of our states because they're like, hey, man, this shit is still real. Yeah. They're not letting anybody think that it's not real. Like, it's always driven into their our heads. This shit is still going on. You got to be cautious. Just drive. Be cautious. Be cautious. Be cautious. It's not over. It's not done. It's not flattened. It's not gone away for good. Be cautious. Be cautious. Be cautious. That's what we need. People need everyday reminders that it's not gone. And if you buy it, if you believe that it's not gone and you believe it's a real thing, then you'll do your best to prevent it from spreading. When you believe it's not a real thing and it's all made up, then you're fucked. Yeah, totally. Well, did you guys, I, I mean, I know you're wrapping it up, but uh, have you guys seen those, the conspiracy theory out there with the Wayfair and the Amazon? No. 
You didn't see that shit about how Wayfair this is being accused of child trafficking, like putting kids in like what is it like cabinets and shit that people buy? Like, or like pillows, pillows and cabinets. They they had like these. They had a pillow that was online that was like fifteen thousand dollars, and the pillow was named like after a missing kid. And they're saying that's how they're trafficking children. And I'm like, and there's so many people who believe it. I'm nauseous. Some of these, like, there's like two broads on my Instagram that I was always attracted to because their nipples were showing all the time. <laughs> but I probably have the same two. Yeah. Yeah, I like them. I like, if you got your nipples out, I'm listening. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> but they're spewing. This one girl, her, her Instagram story is just loaded with screenshot after screenshot after screenshot of, of this big pedophile ring in Hollywood that's going through Amazon and Wayfair, Tom Hanks, Oprah, and they're selling kids. And you wait, you watch when this wasn't in Jisleen. She's going to come out with all the names. You guys are going to see the Hollywood weird mouth that's going to drop. It's like all this like conspiracy, not one uh, one person like, I can't believe the wormhole I'm down. I can't believe all the stuff I'm finding. You're finding conspiracy articles, you fucking <laughs> half a retard. You're not finding actual documentation. You fuck. Oh, my God. It's like my mind blowing. It's like, how do you not know you just found another piece of conspiracy theory that was written by a conspiracy theorist? You didn't find a legitimate article written by an investigative journalist who found out this is true. You <laughs> fucking moron. Or someone who bought a pillow and wound up with a little Chinese boy. Exactly. <laughs> I, I have a video I made. I haven't posted it. I'm like, what happens? I, I order a $15, I get a pillow and a kid. Like, that's got to be a bargain, right? That's. I mean, think about that. That's a bargain. Like, I don't know. Every movie I've ever seen, kids were like 150 grand. Oh, yeah. I've but had, now you would, I've had I get a promo code and I'm getting a pillow <laughs> and a $15,000 kid. I had a friend that, had, you know, the, a couple of friends that, you know, adopt children and they cost way more than $15,000. Absolutely. In, in, in any movie I've ever seen, like, when they traffic women, like I'm going to take a hundred thousand for the for the Russian broad. I want one hundred fifty thousand for the Brazilian broad. It's not fifteen grand. <laughs> and you sure don't get a fucking pillow. No, or a cabinet. There was like this industrial cabinet, and Wayfair tried to explain it, like by saying, "Well, this is a, we, we didn't describe it right. This is a, an industrial cabinet. That's why it's worth eleven thousand dollars." Like, um, uh, and Amazon's involved, and Tom Hanks, and Oprah, and. Uh, it's just insane. It's insane. And people are sharing screenshots of those items on sale. And, I, and I'm like, you don't think that's plausible that Tom Hanks and Oprah are selling kids on Amazon. That's plausible. But it's not plausible that the people who created the conspiracy perhaps might have uploaded those photos themselves. That's not plausible. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. That's why I don't. I. That's when Nick you, you mentioned it. Like I don't pay attention to conspiracy. Like if I see, if anyone if I see any of that shit, I just completely ignore it because I don't. I don't even want to give it like my time to. I know. I haven't looked into any of it. All I keep seeing is this one girl. One girl just every. I mean, she's got her Instagram story. It's just her. Every it's just her. I cannot let me tell you something, guys. If you aren't disgusted by pedo, like who's not disgusted by pedophiles? <laughs> I just don't believe that they're sold on Wayfair. Sorry, <laughs> like, oh, this is insane. Uh, now, now it's now you know it's going to be ridiculous. And like six months from now, there's going to be a huge like FBI bust, and it's going to be Wayfair. We're going to have to call Mike back. Mike, Mike. <laughs> remember well, what you I said. Gotta, I already made a video. I already have a video that says, I, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope in a year you tell me that they got all the kids back to their parents and Tom Hanks and Oprah in jail for life. 
fucking fine. As long as the kids are safe, I don't care. But you, you there's no more pussy spinning around this. I know we're like, we're so that people have their own thoughts. Fine. You can have your own thoughts, but this thought is retarded. And I'm going to tell you it. That's it. Well, on that note, <laughs> hey, <laughs> we'll follow this up later. Um, yeah. Oh, that'd be, that'd be a great second episode. Oh, it's going to be phenomenal. So <laughs> have a good show tonight. Hopefully the crowd are, are good luck, solid. Mike. Thanks for doing um, this, man. Thanks for taking the time. And, well, I guess we don't no, have thanks time. for having me on. And we yeah, will talk sure. to you very, very soon. All right, buddy. Yeah. When do you, are you upload this now? No, uh, next Monday. All right, perfect. All right, buddy. All right, man. Have a good weekend. I'll see you soon. Thanks. You, all right, guys. Thanks, man.